guys and welcome to Pros Before Hoes. The podcast where we talk about what we're thinking, drinking and reading. What are you, what are you drinking this week, Al? Why don't we dive, dive right into our drinks? <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. Um, I'm keeping it very on brand and I'm having a watermelon G&T and it's divine, if I'm honest. It's by Two Birds Countryside Spirit. It was a gift that my father sent to me as a little surprise and can confirm it's absolutely delightful. It manages to be sweet, but also really dry because I was a bit worried that like flavoured gins can be like squash and that's like not my thing at all, mm. but... I like I quite like flavoured gin. Whitley Neal, their rhubarb and ginger gin is... You know how I feel about that gin. The ones where you get the flavour of the fruit or the spices or whatever but without them being really sweet, because that's not what a gin should be. That's what we want, that sweet, not too sweet spot. Exactly. I, uh, on that theme of things your father has bought, <laughs> Yes. shout out to Elle's dad for essentially sponsoring the alcohol segment <laughs> of this podcast. We are fully grown adults who do buy our own alcohol sometimes, but we prefer it when other people buy it for us. Um, yeah, I'm having an old fashioned. Uh, I'm having it with a Woodford Reserve bourbon. Um, I can smell it from over which here. Which is lovely. Yeah, it's really, really tasty, actually. It is quite sweet. It's a very sweet bourbon and it came with, the bottle actually came with old fashioned syrup, which is incredibly lazy um, of me, but it tastes really good. So no ragrets. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Richard Ayres. <laughs> you're, you're the man. <laughs> what else other than finishing off that beautiful bottle of gin have you been up to this can, week? Can I just please like make it clear? I haven't drunk the whole bottle in one she night. She drank it all tonight. It's She's been at- several weeks. <clears throat> one week. No, it has been several it's weeks. Just- but I am liking the... 50th anniversary Glastonbury book that you darling got me (laughs) oh darling (laughs) I'm struggling with the fact festival season is upon us but obviously is not upon us because public health is very important Mm. but I'm struggling a little bit so that kind of content is exactly what I need you know it's a bit melancholy, but nice to remember that they actually exist because it, I was getting to the point when I was watching like the Glasto footage from like years gone by where I was like, oh my gosh, these things actually like happen because they yeah. just feel so far removed from everything at the mo- moment. So I feel like you watching festival films when you're missing Glastonbury and festivals so deeply is like me when I'm a little bit sad and I'm like, let's really, let's really grind into this. And I decide to listen to like Billie Eilish's When the Party's Over. <laughs> just in the pitch black in my room <laughs> i feel like it's that kind of like self-torment that you've put yourself through a little bit but i guess sometimes it, you just gotta lean in also but it, it, it's not entirely sad because I, when i was watching glass day i would go through waves where i was just like oh god this is so painful that it's not happened and i'm not there would it be worse if it was happening i wasn't there didn't want to engage in that but then i'd come out the other side and be like but how amazing that is that it exists in the first place so that is the positive slant i am putting it on i just sound like a middle-class white girl complaining that her (laughs) summer's been ruined but it does run a bit deeper than that i promise no you're a real festival girl oh i I could get one of those really horrible t-shirts festival gal Camilla, what have you been enjoying recently? I feel like we're really formal about this and we live together and normally I just come into your room and tell you every single thought I've had that day as and when they come into my mind. True. That's why it's quite nice though when I ask you these questions yeah. because it's something I haven't heard 
Maybe? You've heard about this. I've heard about this. You've heard about this one. Yeah, so I, um, in the last podcast, mentioned that I was getting a bike. And I'm really enjoying that journey, guys. I feel like I'm living my best midlife crisis, middle-aged man life. Like, I've got my bike. I'm cycling everywhere. I've got cycling shorts. I asked my brother if I looked like Hayley Bieber in them, and he just said I look like a cycling wanker. And you know what? Wasn't even that upset about it, because guess what, guys? I ride a bike. And the cycling shorts, I think, actually look quite cool. It's a look. It's very 90s. It's Lady Diana revenge looks. Also, I've been watching Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You, which I know you haven't started yet. I actually started it last night. Did you? That's yeah. really interesting. I didn't know that. And I just don't like watching things when everyone's talking about them. That's why you didn't know that I'd watched it, because I'm watching it on the sly. Is it because you didn't want to talk about it, and now I'm making you talk about it? <laughs> so I just want to make up my own opinion about it. That's fair. Well, I won't go into details and spoil anything for you, but I found it to be quite difficult to watch, I think. I think as a woman, there are so many... Amb- they call them ambiguities about kind of sexual harassment and sexual assault, and you kind of live your life a lot of the time questioning like where the line is, even as a woman. And it's something that you know quite inherently but kind of watching her in those first few episodes question herself and like not be sure where she stands and it's a theme that continues obviously to develop throughout the show there are bits that you haven't seen yet where that theme is explored in lots of different permutations essentially but it's not even that really I really enjoyed like the way that her relationship develops with social media as she's kind of clearly going through a a kind of mental health crisis related to her sexual assault the Mm -hmm. kind of way that she turns to social media and the way that it initially is seen as like this really good thing and then that morphs um, and it becomes quite different but it's just the writing is so brilliant almost like every line is really quite poignant but mm. not in a way that's overbearing you're not listening to it going oh my god yeah, she, oh, here she is making another point sit there and you go yeah yeah no that's oh god yeah like there was a line I just want to read it's not going to spoil anything for you but it's in one of the, the later episodes where she's talking to a therapist and the therapist says the business models of these networks incentivize, incentivize us to behave in certain ways in ways that promote speaking often at the cost of listening and we were just having Elle and I were actually just having a talk about the the Instagram for this and I'm quite happy to be like quite cringe but you you want to be more tasteful the way I engage with social media is very probably just healthy yeah you know what I, I actually do think my relationship with social media is good it's minimal my Instagram is if there's a nice photo mm. and I think it's worth it yeah it gets posted I don't say anything about them they're just there yeah whereas I say my relationship with social media is unhealthy but obviously I'm coming at it from a slightly different standpoint like I a lot of my early career was based around social media and kind of been on Instagram for like over a decade now basically Um, so weird which is insane when you think about it and I think as I get older I feel like I want to expose less and less of myself and that's exactly how I feel just like from the old so I'll post a picture or a story and then people will start watching it and I'll be like oh god what have I done (laughs) so I find that I'm more and more like just don't want to post to my public account Mm. and I do because I talk about books and I really do enjoy doing that and I do enjoy talking about kind of clothes and also I'd just like to point out that if you think the photography of those outfit pics <laughs> is good then mm. your girl right here L is my Instagram boyfriend but yeah no so I, I think it's really interesting the way that it explores her relationship with social media and I definitely related to a lot of it yeah I, I don't know I mean it'll be interesting I think for me to see how my relationship with it develops as I get older but I do feel myself pulling away more and more you've been engaging with anything else seen anything else that you liked over the last couple of weeks have you been listening to um, Haim's new album no <laughs> oh my god well I, I feel like I have because I hate you listening to it so. oh I have not listened to anything else for the last like week and a half I tend to listen to songs until I hate them and I've never had that with any 
of their songs. Really rate them. I really respect them. Don't really ever listen to them. Really? I wouldn't put them on. But then I don't know if that's because you put them on. Do you know what I mean? When you live with someone else, I find it interesting how that can change how you listen to music because if I know you're going to bring things to the table, <laughs> then I'm not going to bring those same things to the table. Yeah, I kind of get what you mean. mean. And I feel like Haim is actually a good midpoint for us with music because I rate them and respect them but wouldn't choose to listen to them. Mm. And you absolutely adore them. So yeah. it's a nice like... They just make me feel cool. <laughs> so cute. Oh, I'm not gonna take that back. Hi, make me feel cool. I bet I feel like they're empowering, aren't they? They are empowering. I'm just looking through my recently liked songs on Spotify, and there's just a lot, you know, guys. There's just a lot. I've actually been going back and listening to a lot of songs I was listening to at uni because I'm trying to make my uni playlist for the three years mm. utterly complete and comprehensive yeah. in every single way. So what have we got? Oh, an acoustic version of the song "Skin" by Boy. Highly recommend that. Reminds me of Fast Year. And then a lot of Kings of Leon, some Nick Mulvey. All good stuff, guys. All good stuff. So if you two want to feel like you're back at university. <laughs> if you went to uni with me at Bristol a few years ago. Just follow Elle on Spotify. You'll be there in a minute. And actually, we watched that um, Eurovision movie on Netflix, didn't we? I oh, love that. Oh, we did. Oh, we did. Yeah, yeah, Ding Dong. The new hit of the year. Well, you haven't actually played that as much as I expected to hear. I know. I've been holding back. I do not want Elle to move out of the flat. <laughs> so I have to rein in some my... When Camilla said, oh, there's this film about Eurovision, apparently it's really funny, can we watch it? I said yes because I'm a good friend. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say yes because it sounded appealing. But actually, I didn't realise that it was, who was it, Rachel McAdams and Will Ferrell? Yeah. Um, I recommend it if you want, like, a light watch. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's entertaining. It's, it's, and it's ridiculous, mm. but it's entertaining. It's not taking itself serious because I didn't know about it before. I think that, that was says something about your opinion of me that you think I would watch a serious <laughs> no, Eurovision I yeah, I wouldn't think you would find it serious. I'll let it slide this time. Now for judging a book by its cover. So in this segment, we're gonna we're gonna talk about a book one of us hasn't read, which I know sounds slightly contradictory to the entire point of this podcast. But I promise we will be talking about things we have read afterwards. Um, in this section, one of us will have read a book, the other person won't have. The person who hasn't read the book has to guess the plot of the book on its cover alone. Okay, so I picked the book this week and I picked a book called In Watermelon Sugar by Richard Brotigan. It's one of my favourite books. I first found it in a bookshop in Matlock in the Peak District. One of my dad's favourite bookshops called, I think it's Scarthin Book. And it's one of those bookshops that is exactly how you imagine a good bookshop to be. Mm. similar vibes to um black books kind of oh. but smaller rooms like books stacked on the stairs book, books everywhere and i remember looking on the shelves and what caught my attention was the name of the book and when i took it off the shelf the cover hence why i have chosen it for this feature <laughs> so the cover it's white then you've got in watermelon sugar in different fonts in pink green and then black shading on white lettering and then the rest of the cover is covered in words which is an extract from the book near the start all in different fonts it's not clear exactly what the right order is so i'm gonna read you what it says on the front but if the order sounds a bit off that's why camilla is looking at me like she hates me because she does <laughs> i would just like to preface this by saying that Elle did me dirty this week 
like the thing that attracted me to it was the cover. So why don't you read what's on the cover so people can get a small little um, sampling of what I had to deal with. <laughs> my name. I guess you are kind of curious as to who I am, but I am one of those who do not have a regular name. My name depends on you. Just call me whatever is in your mind. If you were thinking about something that happened a long time ago, somebody asked you a question and you did not answer. That is my name. Perhaps it was raining very hard. That is my name. Perhaps somebody wanted you to do something. You did it. Then they told you what you did was wrong. Sorry for the mistake. And you had to do something else. That is my name. Perhaps it was a game you played when you were a child or something that came idly into your mind when you were old and sitting in a chair near the window. That is my name. Or you walked past someplace, there were flowers all around. That is my name. Perhaps you stared into a river. There was somebody near you who loved you. They were about to touch you. You could feel this before it happened. Then it happened. That is my name. And so that's an extract from the, in the book. Not exactly because the ordering is a little, a little weird. But that is the cover. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was going to be easy to try and guess what this was about because it had so many words on it. <laughs> when you said that, I was like... Ah, ah, uh-uh. But it actually just made me doubt my own literacy because I was like, what is this? No, but that's why I think it's going to be, you're not going to get it right because also the nature of the book, it's not like that. So. She, she assumes, but we both know that when you assume, Elle, you make an ass of you and me. So why don't you just, why don't, why don't you just sit down and I'm going to, I'm going to hazard two guesses. I went down two very different routes when trying to figure this out. One of them is probably almost certainly wrong and the other one is also definitely wrong. So... <laughs> Let's just dive in. Um, I did actually really like the cover. I do quite like typographical covers and I find them especially interesting when they're used um, on novels. Originally, I thought it might be a Harry Styles thing because watermelon sugar. Pissed me off that when he did that interview, now suddenly everyone's like, oh my gosh, you're watermelon sugar. Just because Harry Styles said in an interview that he read it and it inspired the song. That's fame, baby. The text on the front cover seems to focus on a name. So in my lockdown delirium, I went down the route of Rumpelstiltskin. Ooh. She's looking at me like she's interested. Yeah, I am really interested. This is why I picked it, because... Okay, so the cover is all over the shop. It's bright, it's colourful, it's messy. There are about a million different fonts. So I thought maybe this was like a 90s retelling of Rumpelstiltskin, uh, drawn out into the grunge era. Uh, some people might be on acid. There are lots of fonts. Strongly alludes to some acid, how many different fonts there are on there. Like, that is difficult to read. So I'm thinking there could be some, like, drug use in the book, possibly some very heavy drug use in the book. Mm-hmm. You know, because you've, you've got, like, Rumpelstiltskin searching for his identity in modern times. And it's kind of a modern exploration of the words we use to describe ourselves and other people and sort of, like, what's in a name? How do we identify ourselves and classify ourselves? And kind of the changeability of identity, maybe, might be a theme in this. And then the second route I went down was because it's about a feeling and the cover is quite joyous and happy. Maybe there is some romance in the book. Watermelon Sugar sounds kind of saccharine, like a kind of stereotypical way that you might think about love and like new love and that kind of stuff. I've always been really interested by this idea that I'll never know what it's like for another person to be in love. I'll only ever know what it feels like for me to be in love. So just from a kind of philosophical angle, like assigning words to these things that I think are inherently subjective experiences experiences so when you're trying to pin a feeling down the way that we talk about like love and happiness we actually end up referring to other things and other experiences yeah. she's given me thumbs up guys i'm actually amazed at myself here it's not that you've like necessarily got it right but yeah. the, the things that you're tapping into are definitely things that well we'll 
We'll see, won't we? Yeah, so that was kind of my my two roots were either an exploration of subjective feeling and the way that we describe it and the kind of the shared experiences that we do and don't have, or Rumpelstiltskin on acid. Those were my two <laughs> takes. <laughs> Maybe it's both. <laughs> <laughs> the crossover we all need. Okay, so you've definitely tapped into things that I tapped into when reading the book. I am a prodigy. I'm not going to lie, it's not about Rumpelstiltskin. Ideas of identity, they're not explicitly engaged with per se, but he is writing the story. And I guess in some ways, writing out his life experiences Mm. is in some way to do with your identity because you're putting it down on paper and your interpretation. So, Well, yeah, I mean, we're all a culmination of our experiences aren't we really but are we only that another podcast and we'll call that one philosophy wankers (laughs) (laughs) i'm going to start talking about the structure because i actually think that's quite important it's in three books and each chapter i wouldn't really call them a chapter they're a page they can be a paragraph three lines i think you can also read this book as a collection of short stories that are quite surreal poetry you don't have to engage with it in any one way and that's the same for the themes that's the same for everything i've given myself a very hard job because the the nature of this book and why i love it makes it hard to talk about i feel like you could write a million dissertations on this and it's only 141 pages and not and not all those pages are pages but there is so much some of them are dreams (laughs) and it's set in ida which is a world where everything is made apple's the newest product ida (laughs) it's like almost like a commune vibe basically this book is very counterculture and 60s and sort of okay so there are drugs but you tapped into the right world okay when you talked about yeah. that because psychedelic Brotigan is like a kind of voice okay. for that kind of time that anti-establishment making things anew so eye death is where it's set it's kind of like a commune everything's made of watermelon sugar it's a simple kind of life but there are complex things dealt with just through the nature of relationship what i find interesting is that creative pursuits aren't necessarily encouraged but the narrator is writing the story so there are tensions in that way so basically everything's made of watermelon sugar and you just accept that okay there is romance involved with ex-lovers and current lovers and there's a lot of humor interwoven with a sort of disparaging nature the protagonist feels towards his ex you find out early on that the narrator's parents were eaten by tigers because before tigers lived with them harmoniously and there's relevant of that old world with statues and things like that yeah, yeah. but then the tigers started getting hunted to extinction because they started attacking the people it's a plot point but again you'll have to read it to understand and make your own mind up about what that kind of means okay i like so i like it you have to suspend reality and just engage with this world you, as it's presented yeah you just okay. have to accept it there's a place called the forgotten works which is like an old abandoned factory and there's a character called Inboil who is a sort of outcast it culminates with drama surrounding that and the ex-lover of the protagonist. And I can't say more than that because okay. then I'll ruin it. We don't want to give it away, but it sounds... I mean, I certainly want to read it now. You know I like weird books. Things about it that I really love and why it's one of my favourite is the idea of the specificity of vagueness or the vagueness of specificity. How the world is described and determined is done simply through language, but not in a normal, inadvertent 
his commas way. And it makes me think of sort of metaphysical poetry like John Donne, where bigger feelings and wide concepts are encapsulated within specific analogies. This does the same kind of thing. There's a fly in the recording studio. <laughs> I'm talking about metaphysical poetry and she's looking at a fly. It couldn't be more on brand. The fly's left. No, it's not. <laughs> Listener, we'll be right back. And we're back in the room. <laughs> <laughs> to wrap up what I was saying about In Watermelon Sugar. So big themes dealt with with simple language that evokes a surreal atmosphere but the sort of sturdy casualness to how Brautigan writes about these surreal conceits that allude to the bigger things allows interpretation to sort of undulate around the language. So eye death is going to be different for every person that reads it, not least because it's a book and that's how people engage with books, but also because yeah. of how it's written. Yeah. And that's part of its beauty and what makes it so unique. I think like now is such a good time to read books that suspend themselves a little bit from reality as well. I mean, I guess while we're talking about metaphysics in the broadest sense of the term, and I know that you're a big fan of him as well, I've been rereading Carlo Rovelli. Um, I'm rereading his book, The Order of Time at the moment, which is, it's just brilliant. It's kind of a savage takedown of our basic understanding of time. And he pulls on really, really big themes throughout physics and philosophy. But does it in a way that's just really beautiful? Like the language that he uses, I find his description so beautiful. And honestly, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm feeling a bit stupid at the moment. So I just sort of thought, you know, I just want to read something that's a little bit challenging, but not in a tiring way, but in a really engaging and interesting way. And I think Carlo Rovelli is so good at that. And his book, uh, his other book, Seven Brief Lessons on Physics, it just answers all the questions that you have about those things that you think you'll never understand, like quantum physics, gravity, and he just kind of breezes through it. And by the end of the book, you're like, I understand now. And then like two days later, you're like, I've completely forgotten it. <laughs> but at the time, you understand. And sometimes I think nonfiction is such a wonderful way to just engage with the world again. You know, you've kind of got, like you were talking about escapism within Watermelon Sugar. And then sometimes it's nice to be like, actually, I just really want to try and understand the world around me and make sense it's, of it. I would actually say it's, it's written in a way where on first glance you would think that. Mm. But actually, it's very much about the reality of life well, and the feelings you engage with. So is Carlo Rovelli then. <laughs> well, yeah. No, but he 100% yeah. is. That's the beauty. He's such a romantic writer. He's one of my absolute all-time faves. He yeah. makes me cry more than any fiction. Whenever I'm on a date, I bring him up. No, I don't know why. I'm just always like, have you heard of this guy? And they're like, no. And I'm like, you should really read him. If I that's just, all you just... take from this, <laughs> read Carlo Rovelli because he writes beautifully about these huge, incomprehensible subjects and he just breaks it down. And his books are never that long. Magical. He was one of the authors that defined uni for me. I read a lot of his work. Fully recommend any Carlo Rovelli that you can get your hands on. Even if you're not that interested in physics and philosophy, I think you will be by the end of... I love that ability of nonfiction sometimes to just, yeah, kind of show you the world and kind of light up. You know, whether it's exposing, like, injustice or whether it's, you know, the invisible wound, whether you're talking about, like, data or whether you go all the way through to, yeah, Rovelli talking about metaphysics and quantum physics. I think just... That's why I, we haven't talked about a lot of nonfiction yet. And limbering up, baby. Limbering up. We're getting ready. I mean, I yeah, I obviously like work in in a nonfiction department in Penguin, and that's just that's what I love about editing nonfiction and working on it is that it's so varied and it, there's always you just learn something. I feel like whether you're learning about somebody's life or learning about the world around you. And Ravelli weaves stories in with it. That's yeah. why it's so accessible and romantic because yeah. the poetry with which he speaks is inspiring. What else have you been reading recently? 
I have been reading I Am, I Am, I Am by Maggie O'Farrell and Supper Club by Lara Williams. So we've got a really interesting set of themes here where we're talking about time, death and food. <laughs> because, I mean, why don't we talk about I Am, I Am, I Am first. The subtitle is 17 Brushes with Death. This is such a, this is honestly one of my favourite books that I've ever read. It's a memoir, essentially just detailing Maggie O'Farrell, who writes really brilliant fiction as well. I really recommend her fiction. Um, She's almost died 17 times. And this is her memoir told through her near-death experiences. And I think it's such an interesting way of exploring as much as we think that our life defines us. You know, how much are we defined by death and our kind of encounters with it and our brushes with it and fear and excitement and that that kind of thing it's such a different way to look at a life lived i thought it was a very good book i think i would prefer it if it wasn't one book as many short stories my favorite was the first one yeah the first. i thought that was exceptional yeah and whilst i thought the whole book was very well written i didn't love it yeah i thought the first chapter was brilliant and if that was a short story on its own i wouldn't shut up about it ever the sentimentality of it towards the end, I didn't love. No, I get what you mean. It definitely does get, like, it hits really hard with the first chapter and then it softens up a bit and some of the experiences are related to her children and that kind of stuff. So it is, you know, it's not actually necessarily her own death that she's had brushes with. But I think I, I enjoyed how it made me re-examine my closeness to death. No, that makes perfect yeah. sense. And I think that's what it should do. But it didn't do that for me, mm. other than in the first one. Or maybe actually the ones to do with C-sections and things like that. But we all know that I have a fear of that kind of thing. So that yeah. one maybe just traumatised me. I do think as a woman about the amount of things that I read and I just go, having children doesn't seem worth it. But yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, fair enough. We disagree a little bit on it, but... But then I don't tend to like memoirs because yeah. I find them self-indulgent and I'm, that pisses me off. I'm such a slut for memoirs. Yeah. I think I find it hard to shake the idea that someone thought they were interesting enough to write about their life, which doesn't mean that they can't be good writing, mm. but it does mean that maybe a sentimentality that if it wasn't a memoir, I would be able to handle. Yeah. I find a bit... Ugh. And I'm glad I've read it. Yeah. Just not rocking. Would world. you recommend it on the whole? Yeah, I definitely think it's a yeah. book people should read. I rarely think one ever regrets reading a book because you take something from it. And you're not supposed to like everything you read. That would be weird. And also liking something and appreciating it and respecting yeah. it are very different things. So yeah. I definitely think it's worth reading. It didn't change my mind mm. for how I thought I would probably engage with it. Bar a few of the chapters, which I really thought were absolutely fantastic yeah i think any book like that that's broken up into several parts is going to have stronger chapters mm. where they're not part of like a, a full kind of narrative because it is quite stilted and it does move quite drastically between certain sections of her life it's an interesting take on a memoir to focus on death when so often memoirs focus on their lives let's talk about something good then let's talk about food i love books about food supper club is by laura williams i think i'm pretty sure it was her debut there's just something so visceral about the way that she writes about food. Mm. And it's so, so it's sort of about this woman who starts a supper club and it's all based on foraging food out of bins and, and being as kind of base and reckless and just 
engaging with food in a way that isn't portrayed in the world as sort of acceptable mm. in general and specifically for women. Embracing gluttony as a woman and they have this goal to, to expand, to get bigger and bigger and to put on weight. And that's part of the main character's goal and part of a lot of their goals. And I think that's such a, it's such a different take on a book. And I think it's, I don't know, I felt quite liberated after reading it. I was just sort of like, yeah, you know what? Food is great. And it just doesn't need to be this thing that we're like coy about. Like if something tastes good, it tastes good. Sometimes you just want to have a really good meal and lots of wine. And I feel like as a woman, so much of the way that we engage with food is like we're being watched. Yeah, definitely. It engages with that really well. And how it looks at female friendships via that yeah. is really interesting and just relationships in general and how the narrator sort of develops her relationship with herself simultaneous with other people and food and how it's all intertwined. I mean, food for me is it's a way of communicating. You know, it's a way of kind of being together with people. And I think that's that isn't really anything to be ashamed of. I think you're you're the similar as well. Like there's nothing better than bonding bonding with people over like a good meal. And I think what Lara Williams does so well is she writes about food in a way where you just feel like you're bathing in it. I don't know how to explain yeah, when that. Some like, of the recipes. Yeah. The writing about food was I think my favourite bit. Mm. And what was funny was I'd like the sound of it and I'll be like, Oh, I'll give that a go. Yeah. Yeah. And other times I was like, no, 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 you shouldn't do it like that. Whereas I just love eating. So I was just like, yes. <laughs> With both of them. And also actually in Watermelon Sugar as well, the idea of the likability of a narrator and how that affects... Oh, I love an unlikable narrator. <laughs> you know how I feel about this. My One of my favourite books is, we, I won't go into it in this episode, but one of my favourite books is The Secret History by Donna Tartt. And all of the characters are just detestable. And I love them. So I, what I was going to say is not about them being bad people, but you just don't like them. Like, you know how in life yeah. you don't like everybody. Some people are your people, some people are not your people. Yeah. I had that with both Supper Club and I am, I am, I am. Yeah, I think, but it's it's a really, it's a testament to good... I found them annoying. <laughs> but it's a testament to good writing when you don't mm. personally like the narrator. Exactly. But you enjoy... Actually, exactly. to be honest, on a very similar vein, in a book that talks a lot about food and the kind of visceral experience of food, um, is Sweet Bitter, which I really recommend reading as well, and Ella, I actually think you'd enjoy it. And again, I found the narrator a little bit annoying, but the description of food is so sensual. I wonder, though, if... Because food is a very personal thing, when people talk about it, they are talking about themselves. And I just don't really like it when people talk about themselves, like, in depth and detail. Mm. Maybe it's got something to do with that, but it didn't detract from either of them. I actually thought, specifically with Supper Club, I think she found herself annoying. Yeah. So I think it made sense you did too. With Supper Club, I thought it was an aspect to the novel that bolstered it. No, I, I definitely agree with you on that. We've had a very kind of physical theme this week, I feel. And metaphysical. And metaphysical. Yeah, I think it's, inter- <laughs> I think it's really interesting talking about narrators, because I do think so often we think we have to like them. Yeah, and that's weird. Like, no, you're not. You don't like everybody. Exactly. And other people will like them. Yeah. Because that's life. No, definitely. And I Actually, I think there's something incredibly empowering when it's a woman as well, who is the narrator, who is the centre character, and she's not necessarily perfect or likeable. Mm. When she's capable of making human errors, of you being like, I'm not, I don't really like her, and just creating that space for unlikable women, I find mm. weirdly empowering. I hope that doesn't mean that I'm secretly an unlikable woman. <laughs> and that's just me being like, my friends. <laughs> in many ways, I've found both I Am, I Am, I Am, and Supper Club quite empowering in that respect. Sometimes I felt like I was, they were wanted me to feel empowered if that makes sense especially with supper club yeah and i don't engage well 
when I know I'm being told. <laughs> don't tell me what to do. Yeah. If you want me to feel like that, write in a way where I feel like that. Don't yeah. preach. But then also with Supper Club, because it's wrapped up in the little club they make themselves, mm. I guess in some regards, they're verbalising it to each other. Yeah. And that's why it's being verbalised to me. So it's not as clear cut as yeah. I maybe just made it sound. But We have complex relationships with these books and that's okay. Exactly. <laughs> And now we're into my favourite section, our dislikes of the week. I feel like you'll probably agree with me on this, but my dislike is definitely the government's slogan of eat out to help out. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's very telling that the entire Tory cabinet, all of their staff, don't know what eat out means in a sexual context and how much of an innuendo that was. And I think what that really tells us is that we shouldn't be dating Tory boys because if they don't know what it means to eat out, I'll tell you what, ladies, they aren't doing it. <laughs> Camilla! I'm just saying. Put in I'm, the hose and pros before hose, everybody. I'm just saying, like, sounds to me like that's a situation that us ladies want to be avoiding. So, you know, don't date Tories. What have you been hating, hating this week then, Al? Mm. Get it out of your system. I have actually been finding it really difficult to read. <laughs> this is a lie this is not a book podcast this is just three normal podcasts standing on each other's shoulders under a giant trench coat (laughs) i think maybe because i was reading so rapidly yeah it comes in waves though i think especially like with lockdown there was so much pressure to like make ourselves better and to educate and improve and just do lots of like reading and everyone was like i'm gonna read so many books or certainly like our circle of friends i think were a lot like that and you know working in publishing there's definitely an echo chamber for people being like i have read the most books (laughs) i just remembered another like i like the nice feedback we got from our pilot oh yeah i feel like we should acknowledge yeah, that and just say definitely thank, thank you so much to everybody who um who listened and who's like followed us on instagram and seemed to genuinely find it interesting yeah and which i find actually... amazing i know i feel like we're such an echo chamber of the two of us but you know like i said last time if you guys have any feedback whatsoever please get back to us let us know if you want us to talk about any specific type of book we've made a note of what you have sent in already yeah and it's it's getting factored into future episodes. It is getting Don't factored worry. in. We are considering you. Why don't we move on to something lighter? How has that gym gone down? I loved it before. I loved it during. I love it after. I love that. Yeah. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> I, yeah, this whiskey was brilliant. I really, really enjoyed this. I, you know what? I just, I like whiskey because I just feel like a cool. You feel like you're a madman. I feel like I'm a madman. I feel like I work in advertising. I'm a successful man in his 40s. I look great in a suit. Great. It's a drink that gives off the vibe. If I have my life together i'll ruin your life (laughs) don't cross me so i've been enjoying two birds countryside spirit watermelon gin and i've been enjoying an old-fashioned made with woodford reserve bourbon thank you so much for tuning in this week guys you will hear us lucky you in a couple of weeks au revoir If you've enjoyed listening to Pros Before Hose, please remember to rate, review and subscribe. Otherwise, we'll have no idea.